0: The only book in the New Testament about which we do not have a rather high degree of certainty about authorship. We really don't know who the author was. Now, we have some real good guesses. I mean, we can look at this book and tell that whoever wrote this book was highly educated. They were extremely knowledgeable in the Old Testament. Uh, They were a very eloquent spokesman and preacher. And... um, Because of those things, we can draw some pretty solid conclusions. Um, This will get you a cup of coffee if you put a dollar with it. Uh, My best guess is that it was written by Apollos. Does anybody know Apollos? Where do we encounter him in the New Testament? Anybody know? Acts chapter number 18. Remember, the Bible says he was... a he was mighty in the scripture and an eloquent speaker. And this is what we know about Apollos. He was trained at a university in Alexandria, Egypt. And this book is filled with a type of logical argumentation that's known as Alexandrinian logic. And without some nuts and bolts and basic understandings of, of Alexandrinian logic, we really end up in a ditch on one side of the road or the other as it comes to some of the critical passages in the book of Hebrews. So it's going to be one of those books where you really do have to put your thinking cap on. You've got to stay with this guy because he is really up the ladder as it relates to scholarship. So let's see what we can find out as he opens his book today. And we're going to look at the first three verses. Uh, I kind of call these first three verses in Hebrews the crescendo of Christological communication. Now, Simply what that means is, boy, he says some things about Christ here that are almost off the chain. Uh, he rivals Paul in some of the Christological passages like Philippians chapter 2 right here, right out of the gate. So when he comes out of the gate, he's showing us what he's all about. Uh, he's all about exalting the one who is worthy... And the one who is superior to any other thing, which is what he's going to uh, come back to over and over and over in this book. And he's going to give us some pretty high Christology. So check out what he says beginning in verse number 1 of chapter 1. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets and in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us and his son whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory, and the exact representation of his nature, upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Now, you can tell that that is a very complicated sentence structure and grammatical flow to those first couple of sentences in Hebrews. So we know we're going to have to do our homework in order just to stay with this guy so he don't throw us a curve or buck us off the trail. So here's what we need to do. We need to first reduce this paragraph and this sentence to its very basic components because he piles up participial phrases, He piles up adverbial clauses. He piles up dependent clauses. And he puts all of that together. So in order to follow him, in order to see what it is that he's communicating, let's reduce this thing to its most basic form where we can understand it. So notice what he says. Here's his subject. The subject of the sentence is the very first word. It's God. Now after you plow through a few few clauses... You come down to his main verb. So here it is. You may want to underline the word God. And then here's his verb. God has spoken. So if you want to know what the heart of this text is, here it is. God has spoken. And notice what he says. We can add those next two words. God has spoken to us. So what he's talking about here is the ultimate communication is God the Father expressed his thoughts to us in his Son, Jesus Christ, who is, as we read in John chapter 1, the very Word of God. You see, a word is just a reflection of somebody's thoughts. If you want to know what somebody thinks, if you want to know how somebody is on the inside, listen to their words. Because Jesus said, out of the mouth flow the issues of the heart. So here we go. If we want to see what God has said, then we really need to look no further than Christ. Now look, this is the definitive word. This is the crescendo. This is the culmination of God's divine speech to His creation, that is, me and you, fallen human beings. Now, it's the final word as well. There's not going to be any other. So right off the bat, this is what He does. He shoots Islam down in a ball of flames because this is the final word in Jesus Christ. He shoots Mormonism down in a ball of flames because the final word God has spoken, perfect tense verb, He has spoken and He has told us all that we need to know and all that we can handle, even more than we can handle, in His final word to us which is Jesus Christ. So here's what I want us to consider today. I want us to consider this subject. What God says we need in 2024. I mean, here we stand on the precipice of a brand new year. Tomorrow the calendar rolls over. So what is it that you need in 2024? And what is it that I need in 2024? Now here's the kicker. Do you know that because we are broken people, And our perspectives are broken. And our warners are broken. Until we really are not the authority on ourselves as to what our most critical need in life is. Did you know that? I guarantee you most of us couldn't identify the most important need that we have. But I can tell you who can identify it. And that's God. So if we want to know what we need, then we need to... Listen to what God says we need. So let's put all of this together for the context in which we find ourselves today as we stand on the last day of one year getting ready to launch off into another and let's consider what is it that we need and if God has spoken... Have you you ever known people just talk a whole lot? And what they say is just kind of a bunch of noise and it really has no meaning, doesn't matter, doesn't amount to anything... Well, God's not like that. If God says something, hear me. We need to hear it. Now, the main verb, the main, the main, or the heart of this sentence is what? God has spoken. So that ought to immediately grab our attention. If God's spoken, then the the next question would be, what has God said? And whatever God says is the most important thing because God sees from a perfect, perspective, whereas we see from a very clouded one at the best. So what is it we need in 2024 as our subject for the day? And God speaks about that. So let's check it out. I think this text tells us as we try to follow this very brilliant writer through these first three verses and these first couple of sentences, we find out that he speaks about the creation of all things. He speaks about the creation of all things. Notice what it is that the Bible says that Jesus is. If Jesus is the final word, then notice how he, it's almost when he gets talking about Jesus, he can't shut up. You ever seen that bumper sticker that says, Ask me about my grandchildren? That's a mistake sometimes, isn't it? Well, you could ask this writer about Jesus and you can't get him to be quiet. And boy, that's the way we ought to be. So he just begins to pile it up. And there's really about seven things that he says here about Christ. And I'm going I'm to combine some of them. And reduce them to about four today. So notice what it is he says. is He says God has spoken to us about the creation of all things. Notice what he says here in verse number 2. In these last days he has spoken to us in his son whom he appointed heir of all things. Through whom also he created the world. So here's what he's saying about Jesus. He's saying that Jesus is the commencement of everything. Everything that you can possibly imagine philosophically and physically, Jesus is the commencement of it. I mean, wasn't it Jesus himself that said, I'm the Alpha and the Omega? So he is the beginning point of every single thing. Dr. John's been playing with the idea of, of our opening grace group doing a thing on biblical creationism because our kids are so bombarded today by anti-God and anti-creationism in school and in colleges until they really need to be grounded in this and know that this is not just something that dumb hicks believe. This is something that is a, 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 a very, uh, how should I say it? There's are smart people that give testimony and credibility to this. Amen. Heather and I were invited one time to a seminar on uh, biblical creationism and we went to that thing, listen, I want to tell you something, there were some egghead geniuses there. You following me? I mean, there were guys there that hadn't never thrown a football in their life. Because all they've ever done is studied. You know the type? There were guys there that had PhDs in things like biochemistry. Who in the world? I mean, dear Lord, I, I about flunked organic chemistry in college, and these guys got earned doctorates in biochemistry. There were others there that had, uh, that had PhDs in things like nuclear uh, physics. I mean, you, you should have seen the credentials. Uh, we walked in that place and I saw all these guys and got to talking to them, and we had a couple folks with us. And I turned around and said, Listen here, if any of you, if any of you slip up and in this presence call me Dr. Allen, I'm going to knock you out. <laughs> I'm just serious. Hit somebody with a PhD in biochemistry or physics, saying, "Well, Doctor Allen, what's your doctorate in? Was <laughs> in where'd you get it from? Well, I got it from <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, my little old preaching doctorate. Ain't no way. I'm mean, no, 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 no. We ain't going there. So anyway, this one guy that was uh, listen. I'm telling you, when those guys started. If there had been an old earth guy in the room, he would have got under the rug. If there would have been an evolutionist in the room, he would have been so embarrassed, he wouldn't have identified himself as one. I mean, they just pulled stuff random and showed how this is the beauty of God's creation and this is God's design. This is what God has commenced in Jesus Christ. For instance, I'll never forget it. I mean, they were pulling animals out and looking at them biologically from a perspective of everything God's done, saying, there's no way this was an accident. This couldn't have happened through progressive evolution. For instance, they pulled out, number one, a woodpecker, and they talked about how that woodpecker's tongue curls back in his throat and goes, you know, it's just crazy stuff. But my favorite one was they pulled out a picture of a dung beetle. And after we talked about a dung beetle for about five minutes, he broke it all down. He said, now here's the reality. Plain and short, a dung beetle's entire existence... And his ability to perpetuate his species down through the years is 100% located in his ability to imitate a turd. <laughs> if he can't imitate a turd, he don't survive. So he said the evolutionists tell us that this just started and he progressively got more and more to look like a turd. And this is what the Ph.D. guy said. P.H. Dyke, i never forget it. He said, well, somebody here stand up and explain to me what advantage this dung beetle would have if he only looked, say, 75% like a turd. <laughs> none. Absolutely none. So these guys just, I mean, they just ridiculed anything but biblical creationism, and it can be done. There are guys out there that can do it. This is not something that just dumb people who stick their head in their sand and don't want to... Don't want to pay attention to science believe. That's right. Biblical creationism is very scientific. A matter of fact, science is just studying what God has already done. Right. Yeah. So here he talks about Christ being the commencement of everything. But now, guess what? Christ is also the culmination of it. Everything started with him. Guess where everything's going to end? Right. right at his feet. Everything that's been created was created by him, and it was also created him. So it's all going to him. There's nothing we can do about it. We're all going to end up before him. Now, let's, 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 I kind of vacillated here between exposition and application. I wanted my points today to be application. So here's my very first point of application. If Christ is the commencement of all things, if he starts all things, then here's the question I have to ask myself. What am I going to start in 2024? I mean, isn't that the obvious application? As we talk about the one who started everything, then I've got to ask myself, what am I going to start in 24? What do I need to start in 24? Hey, here's, one, here's something I want to encourage you to do as you look out, off, out into 24. I want you to look at those things that have always been on your bucket list. All those things that we've always said, I'm going to do that one day. I'm going to get around to that one day. And let's pull those out and let's start them. Let's get it on. I mean, there's some things that we ought to be starting. Hasn't life been the same old ho-hum routine boring long enough? I mean, let's start something new. So I challenge you to pick up something new. When was the last time you did something for the first time? And trust me, it can be done. I knew I was going to get some preaching value out of this one day and here it is. Look, if somebody who is as musically illiterate and totally untalented as I am can pick up something off my bucket list and play it on Sunday morning, by God if there's not a person in this place who can't do whatever it is that God says you need to start in 2024. Just can't I mean, after all, we've got the Creator living right here within us, do we not? We've got the Spirit of the One who created it all. We are made in His image, and part of the image of God is creativity. Did you know that? So what is it that we're going to start in 2024? There are some things we ought to start doing. Would you agree with me? Some things we ought to start doing. And most of us already know what they are. But wait a minute. Not only is He the beginning of all things, not only does He start all things, but He stops all things. What's the obvious obvious implication? I have to ask myself, not only what am I going to start in 2024, but what am I going to stop in 2024? With the power of God, what am I going to stop? That thing that has plagued me for the past 20 years, Ever since I've been a believer, this has been that thing that has kept me back. This is what has robbed my joy. This is what has held me down. What is it that I'm going to lay down right here and I'm going to stop it? Because not only is Christ the starter of all things, but listen, he's also the stopper of all things, right? So what is it that we're going to stop? Now look at this. Starting, stopping, starting, stopping. You know what this writer is doing from the very beginning? Faith. Repentance. Faith. Repentance. Faith. Repentance. Start. Stop. Start. Stop. So what are we going to start and what are we going to stop because we worship the one who started it all and we worship the one who's going to stop it all. Check out number next. What God says we need in 2024. He speaks to us about the creation of all things but in verse 3b, he, talks, he speaks to us about the continuation of all things. The continuation of all things. Notice what he says in verse 3 and verse, verse b. After he talks about creation, here's what he says. He upholds all things. There's that word again. All things by the word of his power. Two critical words here underline word and power. So God Not only does he start everything, not only will he stop everything, but get this. Christ also is the sustainer of everything. He's the one that keeps it going. Have you ever thought about this? this this, It's just mind-blowing to me. How is it that this ball that we live on has been orbiting around the sun ever since its creation at the same rate of speed It's been revolving at the same rate of speed, or rotating, and it's been revolving at the same rate of speed. How does that happen? Because here's what science tells us. Science tells us there's no such thing as perpetual motion. Science tells us there's no such thing as something creating more energy than it consumes, right? But wait a minute. We have examples of that all around us. Just look at this solar system. Ever since it was flung out into nothingness by the power of God's Word, it's been right on time. You ever notice that? It's been right on time. There are nuclear clocks that can project calendars off gazillions of years in the future. You know why they can do that? Because everything has been happening right on time, not missing a beat. You know how it does it? Because Christ is the one who sustains it and keeps it going. Now look, here's what he says about it. He says he upholds all things. Upholds all things. Whether that's way out there in the universe, on the far reaches of our our galaxy, or whether it's something right here in my own life. You know who the holder together of it is? Jesus Christ. You know who the holder together of Grace Church is? Jesus Christ. He's the one that bonds it all together. Now look what it says. How does he hold it together? says this, by the word of his power. Now, that, that word, word, is very interesting. Because as you know, there's two words in Greek that are translated by the same word in English. And here they are. One of them is logos. That was the word used in John chapter 1 that Aubrey read a little while ago. In the beginning was the logos. That's the general word of God. Here it is. The logos. That's God's general word to all of us. But now there's another word, and Colton did a good job of explaining it just a couple of weeks ago. Not only is there logos, but there's also the Greek word that's that's pronounced rhema. Logos, the general word, but rhema is the specific applied word of God to a specific context in life. And you see, this is when it does something for you. This is when I'm studying scripture at home. And the Lagos turns into Ramah. And it feels like my entire body is full of adrenaline. And I want to just get outside and take a lap around 160 acres because I'm so full of adrenaline. Because Lagos has become Ramah. It means God's general word has become so specific for me. It's like God wrote it specifically to me yesterday for the circumstances that I'm facing today. So that will do something for you. That will sustain you. That will keep you going. I don't care what you're facing because there's nothing that you're facing that's more powerful than God's word. So here's the deal. How does he uphold things? By the word of his power. Number one, because his word is personal. His word is personal. You know, I can tell on Sunday mornings or or Wednesday evenings or Monday nights, anytime I'm standing before folk preaching, I can tell those in whom this, whom this transformation has taken place. I can tell because when the word goes from Lagos to Ramah, brother, you're engaged. God's got you. That word Ramah means this is God getting into your personal business. I mean, He's getting right down where you live, into your heart, into your mind. It's dissecting your thoughts. It's getting right down to where you live and you know in your knower that this is not happenstance. This isn't just circumstance. This is the Spirit of God taking the Word of God and speaking to the people of God. Amen. And man, that's very specific. And You see, that's the job of the preacher. Did you know that? The job of the preacher is take the Spirit-inspired logos and kind of turn it into Spirit-applied rhema for God's people in this specific hour. And man, I've got so many friends that they're eggheads as well. They can stand up and preach and it's like reading a phone book. And I'm thinking, my goodness, I'm going to starve to death here, son. Give me something I can sink my teeth in. Rather than parsing a Greek verb or, or, or talking about something that happened 2,000 years ago. Give me something. Turn this Lagos into Ramah. Now look what he says. Here's the cool part. He says, that's how God, that's how Christ upholds all things. You know what that means? Here's what it means. That is a personal, specific word. It means Jesus speaks, for instance, to to Saturn, the planet Saturn. He says, Saturn, you hold your course until I say otherwise. And you know what Saturn does when it gets a personal word from Jesus? It holds its course. Those gas rings keep circling. And it just keeps flying, Saturn. Why are you flying? Because my Creator told me to. That's the personal word of Jesus. That's Rama, Rama, Rama. So don't tell me that you've got a personal word from God, but you're quitting on Him. That's contradictory. It's contradictory. We can't live under the influence of Rama and help, but keep going. By golly, if Saturn does it, if Venus does it, if the Milky Way does it, if Halley's Comet does it, how in the world is it that I can get a personal word from God and lay down and quit? It's impossible. Just can't happen. So what does that tell me about folks that quit all the time on God? That stop the wrong thing. Tells me that they're not under the influence of the word, brother. You can't be. Look at this again. I want you to see this. What does it say? It says he upholds. That means sustains. He makes it continue. It just keeps going and going and going. And how does he do it? By his personal word. That's how he does it. Lord, have mercy. I want to tell you that's the only thing that keeps me going, huh? It really is. It's Ramah what he upholds all things with. Not only is his word personal, but get this. His word is also powerful. Check out what he says right there in that verse. He says he upholds all things by the word. There it is, Ramah, the personal word of his power. Now get this. Get this. It's the word of his power. Not necessarily his power on display. It's just his word. And here's the implication. I can remember growing up. When my daddy told me something to do something, I did it. You know why? Huh, Jerry? You know why, huh? Because you knew that his word, if we didn't do it, would very soon be backed up by his. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) So he doesn't have to demonstrate so much his power he just has to speak the word of his power and everything obeys except us. is that amazing? His word is personal. And his word is powerful. It will tell us what we need in 2024. So here's the deal. Here's your other point of application. You may want to write this down because I waffle here between application and exposition. Number one, what am I going to start in 2024? Hey, Dr. John, where are you? There you are. What are some of the things that Grace Church needs in 2024? What are some of the, what are some of the things that are, we're limping through so you don't have anybody to fill that position? There's a good opportunity right there, is it not? I'm going to start some. And again, I want to say to you guys, if this boy could hear me, this boy who has absolutely no rhythm, I, listen, <laughs> listen. <laughs> If I can learn this new trick and say, Justin, play that beat again for me. I think I heard it that time. That's amazing to me. That's like me understanding Swahili. Wait a minute. I heard that. Woo, I heard that. Look here, if I can do this, there's nothing that y'all can't do. <laughs> I mean, you can don't tell her I said this, but, you know, I've been thinking about some things because I have to take the word to heart. I can't just preach it. I, 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 can't, I can't peddle unapplied truth. Are you watching me? Don't tell her I said this. Haley, reach over and turn her hearing aids off for a minute. She won't hear a thing. <laughs> she can read my lips, though. She's learned to read lips. Heather has always been, as you all know, the social butterfly Everybody loves Heather. She just flitters around. Uh, She's always, as long as I've known her, she's been Miss Popularity in high school. She won everything that could be won in a 5A high school. She was the captain of the cheerleaders. She was the homecoming queen. She was everything. And folk ask her, how'd you end up with that redneck? (laughs) So here's what she's into. She listens to me play the guitar, and she says, that beat ain't right. (laughs) You know, hey, look here, I'll be tapping my foot. She says, your foot's out of time. You got to do something to keep the beat. So I was doing this the other day. She said, have you had a stroke? What the heck's wrong with you? I said, look, I got to keep time. I got a guitar playing son. I don't know where he got his talent from. He came over and he tries to teach me some things. He said, Daddy, watch these rock and rollers. He said, some of them do their hair like this. He said, they keep in time. I said, I thought they were just stoned. I didn't know what the heck. He said, no, they keep in time with their hair. I said, well, <laughs> that ain't happening. Look here. I have no rhythm. I have no what else, Heather? What do you call it? Uh, whatever it is that you, you call it when you dance, I don't have that. I miss that. But my wife, my wife loves to dance. She would love to ballroom dance. So I have decided that in 2024, if she wants to take a dance lesson, I'll take it with her. Simply because I love her. Wouldn't do it for anybody else. So we're going to start a new show. It's called Dancing with the White Preachers. Look, <laughs> I have no rhythm. I have two left feet. But if that's what it takes, by golly, I'm going to do it. You know, Malthus told me one time, he said, look, 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 Malthus is worse than I am. He's a bigger nerd than I am. Y'all know Malthus? He told me one time, he said, look, the reason I learned to play the guitars is because I like to hang out in the places where they were playing music when I was not saved. And he said, I knew that I was going to be asked to dance before long, and I can't, I I just look funky. So I knew if I had a guitar in my hand, I would be excused from dancing. So (laughs) there you go. But look, that's something new. By golly, let's start. Hey, we'll clear these things. We'll have a ballroom dance class right here. What do y'all say? (laughs) I don't know about that. (laughs) I'll do it if Cliff does. What do y'all say? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So here's here's my question of application. Some things you're going to start. I got sidetracked. What am I going to start in 2024, i.e., ballroom dance classes? Let me just take a survey here. How many of you ladies would love to do that? Ladies, would you? No, raise them up high. I know we're not Baptists for a moment, okay? I'm calling. You can how many of you would love to dance, ballroom dance? Look at that. Now, how many of you men are scared to death of it? Hey, yeah. oh, look at there. Look at there. Hey, we need God in this thing, don't we? We really do. Karen, would you like to do that? Oh, look. Now, come on. Come on. Let's do it. Eric, what do you think? Can you cut a rug? Oh, she don't like to. Okay. (laughs) Well, then we need to talk to her and get her in this dance class, don't we? (laughs) Lord, have mercy. Where did I leave this nugget of exposition? Where did I leave it? Here you go. What am I going to start in 2024? What am I going to stop in 2024? Here's your third one. What am I going to sustain? Or better question, what am I going to let Jesus keep going in my life? Even though it looks impossible even though I had rather lay down and and take a rest, take a breather, what am I going to let Him keep going in my life simply because I know it's His will, it's pleasing unto Him, and the word of His power will be sufficient to keep it going in my life. So check out number next. Not Not only does He talk to us about the creation of all things and about the continuation of all things, But he speaks about, number three, about the character of God. Now check out verse 3a. Look what he says. He says two things about him here in this one part of this sentence. He, that is Christ, is the, excuse me, radiance of his, that is God's glory. And here's a cool word, the exact representation of his nature. The exact representation of his nature. So, here's that word, exact representation. You may want to put parentheses around it. If, if we transliterate it from Greek to English, which means we take one English letter for one Greek letter, here's what it would spell. You may want to write them down. It would spell C-H-A-R-A-C-T-E-R. That is the exact word in the Greek text the word that's this that in your Bible that it, it's, give me some translations mine says exact representation what do some of yours say exact say exact expression somebody else imprint. imprint who said that imprint because here's where it comes from let me give you the background of this word it, it, character it really comes from from in, in those days it would have been a seal you know, they put a seal in something, and whatever that seal was imprinted in was the exact reflection of whatever it was that stamped it, right? So here's the way it's best described in our time. You remember the old days when they had when they had typewriters? They had them things that come up and go-whap on the paper? I used to love to hear ladies that could type about 70 words a minute on, on that minute just it was like music, wasn't it? Just burn it up. But it's some old typewriters. So here's what it is. It's that. It's that image that's on that arm. And when they strike that character on the keyboard, it comes up and it imprints that character a perfect exact representation of the image that was on that arm. It transfers it to the paper. So you see, that's what he's talking about. Here's what he's saying. He's saying Christ is the exact expression of the character of Almighty God. Now look. Here's what he's saying. This is a statement about the deity of Christ. Because hear me, you can't be the exact representation of God without at the same time being God. Nobody can do that. The only one that can is God incarnate Himself and that is Jesus Christ. He is the representation of the character of God so guess what it is that God's doing in our life by speaking to us his rhema his imprinting that's exactly right Heather he's imprinting upon us his character do you know what character is it's all of those attributes of God it's the way he acts it's the way he loves it's the way he deals with people in grace it's all of those types of things So, when the Ramah comes to us, it imprints upon us His character and we begin to express to other people not our own broken character, but the character of God Almighty. You see, that's how folks see God in us. So, can I just ask you a question? Men, what are we representing? I mean, do you ever see folk that What their character reflects is different from what their word proclaims. And you see, that's hypocrisy. Because we are imprinted with the character of God by the Ramah that's applied to our lives. So it's an expression of His deity. But notice something else. And boy, here's one of those things that's a mind boggler that we'll never understand. But here's what's so cool about it. You don't have to understand it to believe it. (laughs) Huh? I mean, look, I don't understand nuclear physics, but by golly, I still live under the influence of it. You know what I'm saying? So here's, here's two statements this guy makes in this crescendo of Christological communication. Number one, his deity is seen in the character of Christ. But not only is his deity seen, but his distinctiveness is seen. And here's where we get at the very doctrine of the Trinitarian nature and character of God. Christ is separate. He's an expression of the character. But at the same time, He's one with Him. The expression of His character. The radiance of His glory. It's amazing. And like I say, I can't explain it to you. One of my linguist professors explained it like this. Three is one and one are three. You see how those verbs are mismatched? Check out number next. He speaks about the creation of all things. He speaks about the continuation of all things. Here's what Christ speaks to us about, the character of God. You know why? John 17, 3, here's what he said. This is eternal life. That they know you. See, one of our greatest needs in 2024 is to know Him on a more personal and intimate level. When we know Him we can then have a better idea of who's acting out of the nature of God as opposed to the nature of sinful man, right? It's not hard. It's not hard. Check out number next. He speaks to us about the completion of His work. Now, here, look, at the, look at these subjects. Here's what God has spoken to us about. Here's what He wants us to know. He speaks to us about the creation of all things. He speaks to us about the continuation of all things. He speaks to us about His character. And then finally, He speaks to us about the completion of His work. I mean, there's a list. If you ever wonder, what does God want me to know? There it is, right there. Now, look at at the completion of His work found in verse 3C. Here's what He says. When He had made purification of sins, He sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high. Two things about His work, and I'm done. Number one... What he did on Calvary's cross is perfect. Perfect. And it is expressed in a perfect tense verb. Here's what it means. Let me tell you what the verb is. You know what the root word of the verb is? It's the word P-O-E-M. Did you get that? It's poetry. The cross is nothing more than divine poetry. It is perfectly orchestrated. Perfectly framed. Satisfies the justice requirement of God for guilty sinners like you and I. It is poetry on the cross. And it's framed in a completed perfect tense verb. And here's what it means. Watch this. Here's what God wants you to know in 2024. It's done. It's done. You can't add anything to it. Would to God that we would stop living under this legalistic idea that says I earn my acceptance with God by what I do or by what I don't do. No, you don't. We cannot do that. We earn our acceptance before God based on one thing the perfectly completed work of Christ Jesus on Calvary's cross. Nothing else. There's nothing that I can do to add to that. Not one thing. Not one thing. Perfect. But check out the last thing. Not only is it perfect, but it's permanent. It's permanent. Hey, if I didn't do anything, if I didn't do anything to add to it, guess what? There's nothing I can do to stop it. There's nothing I can do to terminate it. Nothing I can do to end it. Y'all watch me. Watch me just a minute. Can I, can I, can I call your attention for a second? I have been absolutely crucified in the realm of... of, of public opinion in Bonifay, Florida in the past couple of months over a little issue known as Calvinism. Have you all ever heard of that? Now let me tell you something. Here's one of the major points of Reformed theology. Here it is. Are you all ready? If God saved me, I am saved forever. How many of you believe that? Raise your hand. You sorry, Calvinist. I'm going to stop telling them. No, I'm not Calvinist. I just preach to a bunch of them every Sunday. That's what I'm going to start saying. That is Calvinistic, Southern Baptist doctrine. And here's what it says. It says, if God did it, I can't undo it. Who am I to undo the work of God? I cannot do it. It's impossible. And by God, God saved me. I didn't save myself. It wasn't because I was smarter than everybody else where I grew up. It wasn't because I was better than everybody else. It was God who was rich in mercy caused me to be made alive in Christ Jesus. I didn't have anything to do with it. And by golly, because of that, ain't nothing I can do to get out of it. Woo! Huh? Man, I'm telling you, that'll set you free. It just will when you realize that God loves you unconditionally. He saved you on the basis of His grace, not on your merit. Saved. I don't understand why everybody's so mad about this word. That's simply... That's that's just simply what we believe. Huh? It really is. Now look, it's permanent. You know why I know it's permanent? He ain't never going to have to do it again for you. He never will. Look what the text says. Let me take you back to it real quick. Get this. When he had made purifications of sin... Here we go. When he had made purification of sin, when he had made... There's that word poem. When he had made... He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Now get this. This guy who wrote this book was an absolute expert in the book of Leviticus. He knew everything that a human being could possibly know about the Old Testament sacrificial system. And here's one thing that the priests were never allowed to do when they were in the Holy of Holies making atonement for sin. You know what they could never do? Sit down. That's right. You know why? Because their work was never finished. They were always, every year, having to atone for sin. But I'm telling you, when he died on the cross and he went back to heaven, he sat down and said, Father, it's done. Praise God. It's permanent. He'll never have to do it again. What he did on Calvary's cross was powerful. It was powerful. You hear me? You know who knows about the power of what he did on Calvary's cross? Listen to me. It's not the good old boy who's bought the line of cultural Christianity and thinks he's going to heaven because he goes to church every now and then. And he's better than his neighbors who are hellions. That guy don't have a clue about it. But let me tell you who knows about it. It's the person who is absolutely in the depths of degradation. And God saved him. God saved. Come on, somebody say amen. That's right. I've said all along, I would love, I would love to be the pastor of a church, maybe downtown New Orleans. It was filled with former prostitutes that know of the power of the cross of Jesus Christ because they were at the very bottom and something happened in their life and now they are seated with Him in heavenly places. My goodness. Jesus said to the Pharisees, he said, the reason y'all don't appreciate me, remember that woman? huh? The was washing his feet with her hair. Jesus said, the one who appreciates me is the one who's been forgiven the most. Huh? Those folk know about the power of what he did on Calvary's cross. And I'm telling you, it's perfect and it's permanent. If he saved you, but he didn't save you just for a little while, he saved you until everything culminates right in front of him. Thanks be unto the good God of heaven. It's not dependent upon me. All depends on what he did on Calvary's cross. Hey, what are we going to do in 2024? In a nutshell, I want you to start something new. I wish I had a grace group this week cuz I would make this rain my I'd get in some business. I'd folk, make folk name some names. Hey, if I say I might consider learning how to dance with my bride because she wants to, you can name it. What is it you want to do? Oh, better yet. Bride, what is it you want your husband to start? Let's do it that way, huh?
1: Yeah. No, no, no. I, I'm really <laughs> meddling now, huh,
0: huh? What do you say, Ms. Meyer? Yeah, you, you got a list already made out, don't you? <laughs> I was going to say we could have fruit this week until you just said that. Yeah. <laughs> So what are we going to start, what are we going to stop, and what are we going to sustain? If we can get our arms around them, I don't know about you, but I show sure hope 24 is better than 23. Amen. Stand with me, please. Father in heaven.